0: Good morning, ah, the technology's down so I didn't put a slide up there, but just to give you a visualization, it has the word envy on it. So We're in 1 Corinthians 13, what's love got to do with it? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It's not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Love is good. We've seen that in every message. Uh, Every Sunday we've been together in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is good. Obviously, Paul, when he begins to describe love, he does so in what love does. And we're told love exercises patience. And at the time we talked about how patience withholds anger, irritation, frustration, in order to meet the needs of that person. And so, love exercises patience in order to show kindness, to meet needs, specific needs that an other has. And at the time, I even mentioned that faults I've found are unmet needs. And so, we're in an ideal position to meet needs if we can just get past the things that irritate us, that throw us off. Well, obviously, love is good. It's good for others. When we're exercising love, it's good for others. But then there's this question, and I've experienced this myself, what about me? You know, if I'm doing all this good stuff for others, what about me? Who's looking out for me? Well, that's not a question love asks. (laughs) But it's a question we ask. What about me? And that at root is part of the struggle sometimes. It's the human versus God. It's me versus God in my life. But what about me? Let's answer that question. There are answers right here. One is implicit, and one is explicit. One is there, but it doesn't jump out at the eye. The other is there, and it does jump out. What's the first answer to the question, what about me? Well, the first answer is, God is looking out for you. God is looking out for me. And I say it's implicit, it's not immediately apparent, but what Paul is talking about here is being plugged in to God to love the way God loves. The patience that we find available, the kindness that we find available, is a symptom of God's love at work in our lives. And what about me? Or who's looking out for me? The first answer is God. God's looking out for you. And God's looking out for me. Look, we're not selling products when we're loving. And God is not giving us a commission. It's not like, well, if I do this, then somewhere I'm going to get a payback. I'm going to get a return on my investment. If I'm going to give of myself, God's going to see that I'm paid back. It doesn't work that way. The way it works is if you and I have experienced a revolutionary product that has brought healing to us and we want to share it with someone else. It's unlimited in supply. It's available to us. It's not in short supply and we give it away because it has done so much for us. It's not like when we're loving others we're wearing hazmat suits either. We are radiated by the love of God. We are exposed. We benefit from his love when we're loving others. It's not like somehow we're in isolation. We are experiencing the love of God. And I'll tell you when we're experiencing the love of God, it changes us. Changes Okay, I won't talk about you, I'll just talk about me. It changes my personality. It does, it changes my personality. Ugliness is replaced by something more beautiful depending on the circumstances. I don't want to talk too much about my weaknesses, but it changes my personality, it changes my countenance, which changes my appearance it changes my emotional disposition love is powerful and we have to be plugged in to God this doesn't happen just automatically it is an act of faith and if you think of an appliance I'm an appliance and I'm turned on when I'm plugged in I operate As God intends me when I'm plugged in. Think of God as a socket. And your faith is that which plugs you in. Because it's a choice. Sometimes faith seems a little mystical perhaps to us. Or magical. Faith is a choice to put your attention, your life, your decisions into the hands of God. It's your way of just saying... I'm going to let go of this, and I'm going to invite you, Lord, to take over. And in taking over, God wants to exercise His love through you. And we can understand more about that all the way from Jesus being sent that model of love and His selfless love that took Him all the way to the cross... That teaches us about love. Paul's teaching us about love, the nature of love here in 1 Corinthians 13. But as we turn our lives over to Him, He begins to operate in us. And as I said, um, when you make that choice, when you choose to love, it's a fresh confession of faith that personalizes the great commandment, love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. Think about that. When you let him in to what's going on and you submit or you say, God, you take over. I can't do this. I don't have the strength or power. I need your help. And when you turn it over to him, you are loving the Lord your God with heart soul mind and strength you're taking that first step to acknowledge that great commandment and out of that will flow love your neighbor as yourself well that's the implicit answer if you didn't get it love is good for you love is good for you it's going to change you and it's going to change the things around you The people around you, whether you're at home, the office, school, whatever the situation, it changes you. And that's good for you. But there's an explicit answer to the question what about me? Or who's looking out for me? And it's right here love does not envy. Love does not envy. Because envy. envy is all about wanting what others have. And wanting what others have is destructive. Powerfully self-destructive. And what this tells me is that, and I, I don't think, I mean, it's pretty plain. If I'm loving as God would have me love, as He Himself loves me, Paul says, there's no room for envy. Now just think about that, because that's what I want to talk about this morning. Envy is the opposite of God's love. Envy is destructive. Socrates said, envy is the ulcer of the soul. That's not good. Envy is the ulcer of the soul. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, Our envy of others devours us most of all. An unknown writer said, There are many roads to hate, but envy is the shortest of them all. Joseph Epstein, who wrote a book on envy just recently, said, of the, of the seven deadly sins, only envy is no fun at all. <laughs> so, why do we engage in envy? Because We're not fulfilled. We're not satisfied. There's this big, gaping emptiness or hole in in us that we have to have filled. We want what others have because we see what they have as reflecting a deficiency in ourselves. But if love does not envy then there must with this love come a great satisfaction and fulfillment, a great completeness. Envy is, have you ever heard the expression, green with envy? Green is a beautiful color, except when it reflects a poison or some kind of an infection. And in the medical field, I find this word virulent popping up in descriptions of envy. Envy is virulent. And in the medical field, just to pick one virulent, talks about something highly infective, malignant, and deadly. That's why they call it the green monster. What is envy? Merriam-Webster says it's painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another. Joined with a desire to possess the same advantage. It's not just acknowledging that advantage. You know, in many cases we can acknowledge someone else's advantage and praise them. And rejoice with them. Doesn't affect us at all. But if we think that there is some inequality that can spur, it can create a desire in us to have that same, that desire to possess that same advantage. Envy is one of the seven deadly sins. It grows on pride. And it's interesting. People will admit any sin except envy. Because in admitting envy, we're admitting some sense of inferiority or need. And it's an ugly, ugly passion or desire within us. It's rooted in a view of inequality. Things are not right. This isn't fair. Why do they get what I deserve? Or I don't have what they have. I'm being somehow cheated. And sometimes we even transfer that to God, which breaks our sense of trust in Him and confidence. Somehow God has singled me out to deprive me of what I desperately think I need and I see so beautifully portrayed or exemplified in the life of another. Everyone feels envy to some degree. We, we can envy someone's wealth. If I just had more. My friend, they have more. I, I don't know why I didn't get that job. His job seems... He's rolling in the dough. Has his house paid off. Has an extra car. Has all his toys. Why not me? This just isn't fair. Or beauty. Why didn't I get her looks? I'm, I'm imagining I'm a girl now. But by, by the way, if you envy the wrong thing, I mean, <laughs> got to get your envy straight. Is there anybody that's satisfied with their looks? Even those that are titled supermodels. I can recall interviews on television where they—they they even, even they are unsatisfied. Or how about talent? Boy, wouldn't we want someone's talent, their ability in sports, music, Whatever field. I mean, it's easy to see how envy can spring up. Wisdom, power, good luck. Sometimes we just want good luck. Why'd that person win the lottery? Exactly. (laughs) I read in my research about a movie called Envy with Jack Black and... Uh, two really funny guys, but the premise of the thing is his buddy 's always looking for shortcuts in life. Have you ever met people like that they're always dreaming up wild schemes and how to kind of get to the end without hard work and, and, and his buddy is always he 's shutting down he 's not even listening to his friend anymore, but his friend comes up with this idea he 's developed a spray that you can, you can spray on animal droppings and they disappear. You know, no more shoveling. And he says, "Look, if you'll just buy in for 3,000." friend thinks that's a lame brain scheme, you know, who's going to come up with something that's going to make dog poop disappear? But he he becomes a great success and he's just rolling in the dough and he's doing commercials on television, he's on interview shows he he doesn't move out of the neighborhood but he builds a massive massive mansion right across the street he buys a white steed and rides up and down i mean it's hilarious because it's like why did they, this guy doesn't deserve it and it just eats at him and it's destroying him and destroying his marriage and and his friend is still trying to be generous but he's so envious that he can't even just accept And finally, he comes out and he confesses in just a litany of acknowledgement of how he envied his neighbor. No one wants to admit they're envious. No one wants to admit being like the wicked queen in Snow White. We're told envy and pride grew in her heart like rank weeds. Or who wants to be like the ugly stepsisters in Cinderella? Or who wants to be Anakin Skywalker? Envy drew him to the dark side. I don't want to be Darth Vader, do you? Envy is no fairy fairy tale. The first murder grew out of envy. Cain envied Abel. Remember Joseph? We tend to remember Joseph for what he became, but do you remember When he was a young boy, he was arrogant. His father's pride treated specially. I didn't like him. I don't think it's easy for us to admit, I don't like you, Joseph. But how sad. I mean, I don't think there's any of us that don't sympathize with his brothers, but envy transformed them and they became uglier than arrogant Joseph. Envy drove them to sell him into slavery. To lie to their father. To enter into a complete ruse. King Saul lost his kingdom, but envy, envy of David took his soul before his crown. Envy, you see, grows in small places. The craving to be, make, to be bigger actually makes you smaller. It shrivels the heart. It chokes out generosity. It obliterates peace and serenity. It allows you to see joy but not taste it. Bitterness is all that thrives and its fruit is hatred. Dante ranks envy right after pride and greed and he, he categorizes envy as perverted love because it loves what others possess rather than what is good and true. And so envy eats away at the heart. And in Dante's era, there was a, an idiom or an expression, a, a saying, Envy wears out the eyes, and that's why, in the Divine um, Comedy, envy is furthest from paradise, and there their eyes are sewn shut. Makes me think of First John chapter two, verse sixteen, where the Apostle described love for the world. He said, where there's love for the world, the love of God is not present. Can't find a foothold. Can't find a place to be. And then he went on to describe love for the world. You remember him? The craving of the flesh. The craving of the eyes. Envy. And the pride of life. But right here... Paul gives us some incredible news. He says, God's love is the antidote for envy. In the Ten Commandments, envy is called coveting. James uses the same word that Paul uses here in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, to talk about coveting. He says in chapter 4, verse 2, You desire and do not have, so you murder. And Jesus, of course, made it clear to us that that isn't always a physical act, is it? We assassinate people's characters. We destroy them internally. And sometimes we want to draw others into that destruction. We can't rejoice with them in their advantage, so we try to notch them down in the minds of others. And in a way, we murder or assassinate their character. He says, you covet, same word here, Do not, love does not envy. Here he tra- it's translated in English, uh, covet, but it's the same word. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And the words for fight and quarrel are really strong military words engage in combat, and wage war. A lot of times that happens all inside. So what can we do? Well, James gives us the answer. The first answer, at least. He says, and I left this out, you do not have because you do not ask. Ask God. You feel that you're deficient in some area? That... You deserve more? Ask Him. I think James brought that up because the irony is when he's describing envy at work and what it does to us, we never thought to stop and say, well, God, maybe You can handle this. Maybe You can deal with this in my life. We're always trying to deal with it on a human level in our own power. And James says, you do not have because you do not ask. Why don't we ask? Because we're coveting and envying what we don't have because we're not thinking about God. We're ignoring Him. A second thing we can do ask God. Second thing, trust God. Envy grows out of the absence of confidence and trust in God's love and care. We see the advantage of another, and without thinking, we twist it. And it becomes a contorted, unexamined falsehood. And if we were to bring that falsehood to the surface, it would look something like this. God doesn't care about me as much as He cares for him or her or others. God is withholding what I desperately need. C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. Voyage of the Dawn Treader continues... The Saga, the children are on a voyage. Lucy's the youngest, and she finds a book of incantations. And it's then revealed that Lucy has always had this dark need, this struggle. And it is a wound for her. She feels inferior to and envies her beautiful older sister Susan. Now, what's interesting is sometimes we never address some of these things in our lives. We feel cheated in some way. We feel there is inequity. And we never get it resolved. Sometimes we look past it. Sometimes we distract ourselves and entertain ourselves or anesthetize ourselves in other ways. We never really turn that issue over to God. Well, when Lucy found the Book of Incantations, it promised her to make her beautiful. And I think the Book of Incantations just gives you, offers you, whatever you need. And Lucy recites the spell Make me she whom I degree holds more beauty over me. Make me she. Whom I degree holds more beauty over me. And suddenly Lucy is transformed, but to her horror, she's transformed into her sister. Where did she go? And what I think is powerful because C.S. Lewis is trying to give us a look at what envy does to us. And I think part of its power, besides its its kind of fairy tale, metaphorical ability to get past our defenses and show us through an example what sometimes is happening with us, but Lucy is a believer. She believes in Aslan, whom we are, I think we all know, is Jesus Christ in the story. And Jesus comes to Lucy and he begins to question her tenderly, and she says. I didn't mean to choose all that. I just wanted to be beautiful like Susan. And Aslan tells Lucy, You wished yourself away, and with it, much more. I'm so sorry, Lucy says sadly. And Aslan says, You doubt your value. Don't run from who you are. Who you are in Christ. Sometimes we're still trying to run from who you are in Christ. And who you are in Christ is determined by the value that Jesus himself puts on you. Give him a little credit. He paid an incomprehensible price for you. He wants to work with you. But if we're always envying and loving and seeking after things that don't belong to us, we're running from ourselves. We're running from what God wants to do with who we are right where we are at. And that's a lifelong coaching. What I thought was interesting as I reflected upon this, what's your book of incantations? I think the book of incantations is opportunity. This just came to Lucy, she stumbled upon it, and you and I can fall prey to the temptation of the book of incantation when we want to seize upon opportunity to bring someone down, or in some way measure up, because we are gripped. With this desire to have what we don't have that we admire in others. It's amazing how profound is the influence on our nation. I mean, could we have all the advertisements that we have if there wasn't some envy button in us? The car you choose, the products you use. How often do we want to change ourselves? And now more and more through cosmetic surgery, it's just crazy what's going on out there. Isn't that a reflection of the dissatisfaction that we have with ourselves? That God can't use me right where I'm at? That somehow I have to take this into my own hands to become worth something and you'll never satisfy that issue of worth unless it's satisfied at the cross in the very life of Jesus Christ. Ask God. Trust God. What's interesting, in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Paul rolls asking God and trusting God right into the third thing that I would want to bring up, and that is thank God. He says, be anxious for nothing. That means no thing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Rick Warren said, thanking God for his goodness prevents envy. Envy is resenting God's goodness to others and ignoring God's goodness to me. Contentment is a great gift. It comes with thanking God, with being grateful. And the last thing I would say we can do, and it really is comprehensive and most important, and that is love God as He loves you. Let's not lose sight of what He says here in 1 Corinthians 13.4. If we're loving as God has loved us in Jesus Christ, there's no room for envy. Let me illustrate this real quickly. Last night, Shelley and I spoke at Hitched. Hitched is a monthly event when uh, young couples get free babysitting to go on a date, but kind of like at the soup kitchen, we make them listen to a sermon first. <laughs> but, but the sermon was not mine to give. It was by Andy Stanley. It's on, on uh, CD. And man, he... I, he, he he was fantastic. I thought, man, I'd like to be like Andy Stanley, but that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But he drew uh, our attention to Philippians chapter two, verses three through eight, and what was powerful for me is I listened to his message twice in in leading up to last night so that I would get caught up with, with the couples and what they had viewed a month ago. They saw the video and then, then Shelley and I came and we basically talked about some things related to it that we'd learned in 30, almost 38 years of marriage. And as I was listening to his, I thought, Wow, Philippians 2, 3 through 8 is commentary on love with an emphasis on envy. Let me read a little of this to you. Listen to this, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit. That sounds like envy to me. It is envy. Selfish ambition and empty conceit. But in humility, now listen to this, consider others better than yourselves. Now how can you do that if you're envious? What love does, what God's love does, is He says, you know what? You're better than me. You're better than me. So there's no inequality here. <laughs> you get it? It's when I have to be as good as you, but if love acknowledges that you're better than me, when that's the, the, the spirit or the disposition of love, it frees us. And then he goes on practically, he says in verse 4, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then here's the model. Again, it brings us right back to the Lord. He says, have this attitude in you which was in Jesus Christ, our Lord. He who won us to this whole thing. He who has touched us in the same way. We know that love. And he, I like what Andy Stanley says. He says, uh, he was God but he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or an advantage to be played. And he used this expression in his uh, talk, which I thought was cool. He says, Jesus never played the God, he never pushed the God button. Here he was, God in the flesh, and in all these situations, he never used it to his own advantage. So like And then Andy Stanley did some really cool stuff that I thought was really great. And he talked about like getting a choice seat at a restaurant. Or a front row seat at a big event. You know, he's like a rock star. But he never played the God card. He says that's our model. But let me take it just one step further. I think sometimes we think if I had it all, it would be easier to set it all aside, that then I would be able to love. But that's exactly what Jesus did. He set it all aside. In other words, you don't have to be God to love others as God in Christ loved you. But it does begin with acknowledging how great is our God. Will you stand with me? We're going to sing a closing song. And uh, as we do, I couldn't, this week as I was thinking about envy, um, not feel the the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I, by faith, I, I just believe that that the Spirit of God in this place today has probably touched some things in your life. Is there a person that you resent, despise, sometimes demean? You would almost rejoice in their failings because you envy them? God's love has to be the starting point for changing that. And the emphasis that I wanted to place on envy is that if you will love as God in Christ has loved you through an act of faith, a choice to let Him be the power in your life, moment by moment this week, or as many moments as you can set your mind and heart on Him, I promise you, God will begin a great work in your life that you've not witnessed. And it will be to your benefit. God will make you whole and satisfy you and do some wonderful things in your life that you and I need because God intends it to take place through love. This has been a production of Grace Community Church of Iselia. For more information, go to our website, at www.gccvisaya.org or for more sermons go to gccvisaya.org/podcast